Welcome to Learning with Lisa, Student Success Beyond Expectations podcast with Lisa Navarra, award-winning educator, consultant, behavior specialist, author, and parent. This podcast provides support for school leaders, educators, and parents. We share and discuss evidence-based resources that are embedded in social and emotional learning to meet the needs of students who struggle focusing and learning. Teachers and parents find information and strategies to improve students' academic, behavioral, and social-emotional performance. It's time to turn kids from I can't into I can. Welcome to Student Success Beyond Expectations. Are you a parent who has often wondered how to navigate the whole system of IEPs and CSEs and all these acronyms and programs that you want your child to have, and yet there's teams of people, but you're really not quite sure what your role is? Well, Beth comes to us today with a wealth of experience. She has started her own company just because she saw a need, and that need was seeing how differently meetings were conducted while discussing the needs of children. Some parents were very comfortable with the system and they knew what to ask for. They knew how to read some of the information and data and have a very intelligent type of conversation filled with knowledge, right? But there were also some parents that were new to this process and they weren't educated on it and they seemed to need help. And so that's where Beth is. So Beth, would you please introduce yourself? Yes, as you said, I'm Beth Liesenfeld. I'm an occupational therapist and founder of the IEP Lab. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited to be here. I've been an occupational therapist in so many different settings from outpatient and early intervention, um, and then transitioning into several different school districts. And yeah, I'm just excited to be here and, and talk about the parent role and just the IEP system in general. Can you tell us about what really prompted you into taking what you're seeing into creating your own company and resources for parents? Tell us about that need that you found. Absolutely. So when I was in the schools, I was in a rapidly growing district. I think they doubled in size in the time that I was there. And the cool part about that was I got to see IEPs from all over the country and even districts next door that were moving into our district because they were growing so much. And what I started to notice is I was covering, as you probably know, OTs are on many different teams. So I was serving under 10 different case managers and seeing all of these kids and all of these different parents. And what was happening was I was sitting in meetings and there was one particular week where I think I had seven or eight meetings all in a row. And wow. some of them were for the same team. So same special education teachers, same team. And I would come in there and every single meeting had this different air about it. Mm-hmm. Some of them were tense. Some of them were relaxed. Some of them were really energetic. And that parent just knew how to inspire the team to really problem solve for their child. And yes. those IEPs were better. Yes. They were just better. And the whole team was so excited to yes. really pitch in and solve these problems and support this child. And I was like, why isn't every single one of these like this? Right. And so I just kind of in those meetings where parents seem to have questions and struggles, I always felt myself kind of interjecting myself to break things down and explain things. 
because I was there too. OTs are very medical. We don't have a lot of IEP education through school. And so I had been there before. I had to learn all of these acronyms right. that you were talking about. And so I felt myself, you know, trying to educate. And I was like, oh, I really love this. I love breaking it down. I love, you know, looking at the system and seeing how we can put all the pieces together to make a really great IEP. But IEPs aren't necessarily the time to do that. So when I was interjecting, I was interrupting and case managers were like, we've got to get this done. And so I was like, there's got to be a theme to these parents that really come in and inspire the team to step up for their kid. And I started to notice that there are certain skills that they have. And that's what turned into the IEP lab is communicating both the basic information and how you can really inspire your team and not have to go through all that conflict to really get the team to step up for your kid. Right, because once you go to that Committee on Special Education, that CSC meeting, there's already a draft of that IEP that's created. So you could talk about whether or not you agree, disagree, you can kind of tweak things, but to come up with a whole new section, it's only about 15, 20 minutes per student so now I can imagine they must have been like, ah, oh, now is not the time we need to do this beforehand, right? Yes. So are there are certain ways that you try and communicate before the CSC meetings to really close that gap, communicate the needs of um, the students that you serve? Mm -hmm. Yes. So what happens is I have several offers. One of them is a workshop about the data and the paperwork because I love the paperwork, which makes me a little bit off, but it works. I love. We all need somebody just like you. It's I all know, good. Right? <laughs> I just love the paperwork and I love putting it all together. So there's things that parents can do outside of that stress. Most parents come to me, you know, originally find me like a couple days before their IEP um, meeting, right? Yeah. Because there's that stress of, oh my gosh, this is coming up and I'm looking at this draft IEP and I don't understand what it says, but there's so many things just like listening to this podcast that you can do to educate yourself and really have some context and to know you can ask for a draft IEP because a lot of districts don't even provide you that before the meeting. That's right. And if you know you're supposed to ask for it, all of a sudden you're more prepared. You're more relaxed. You can have more of a relationship and a conversation instead of feeling really overwhelmed in that meeting. Being prepared is just, oh, it's so amazing, <laughs> right? For our emotions, especially. Absolutely. What else should parents be asking for? Definitely the draft IEP beforehand and definitely the evaluation report. If there's a triennial review, which happens every three years, mm -hmm. if they're re-evaluating for some other reason, like maybe there's a transition, maybe there's a new outside report, you really want to be able to look at that evaluation report before you go into the eligibility meeting and really kind of see what they're looking for in that eligibility meeting. If you're concerned that you really want your kid to qualify in a certain category, we all know that it shouldn't really matter what category they qualify in. But if you're looking at a specific program, like an emotional disturbance program or an autism program, sometimes that label matters. So there's resources that you can look at on your state's website so that you can see kind of what they're looking for to qualify in that category. And then when you get the evaluation report, you can make sure that you know, if there's a piece missing, say you have a kid with sensory struggles and it's not in the evaluation report, you can come to that meeting and say, hey, I noticed this isn't in there and this is a struggle that probably needs support. You're just more informed when you come in. So I would definitely say evaluation report and draft IEP. And then 
You know, it's, it's really good to have all of your paperwork kind of organized and you familiar with it. So any progress reports, any outside reports that you have, um, it's, it's important for you to really bring those to the table and kind of know what they say and know if you don't understand what they say that you need to ask questions so that you can understand so you can advocate from a place of being an informed parent first, right? I've seen parents even have a binder where they yes. have their years of IEPs, and like you're saying, evaluations, whether it be in the school district, out of the school district. And I also think that parents shouldn't be shy. Listen, we almost place things. If we don't have it, the school district has it. So you can contact either the district in terms of the um, special area, whether it be the, the classroom teacher, the director of special education, the principal, right? You wanna contact somebody to say, listen, I don't have the reports. I would like another uh, copy of the report sent to me. And so mm -hmm. that's something else too. And really, you know what that does too, I think Beth, it really allows you to see the progress of your child because sometimes we're so focused on what he or she can do right now, what can't do, you know, that we forget where they came from. So keeping that in a binder too, I think is something that's very um, helpful and to keep our spirits up to really be able as a parent to represent our child from where they came from to where they are and where we want them to be. Absolutely. And there was just a parent, oh gosh, this was a couple of years ago now, but she was going through the fifth to sixth grade transition, which right. is a stressful transition for sure. And the cool thing was this parent had a vision statement. So it stated where she wanted her child to go. You know, they had an after high school program that they were trying to get her into. And this was fifth grade and they had this goal for her. It was just yeah. amazing to help direct the team. So that's another thing that's just really cool when parents are able to do that. But she came in and she said, hmm, we're missing some reading goals. Like, is she even making progress? And she went back through all of the paperwork. Can you imagine how long this took her? But she went through all of the paperwork and she looked at goals that were discontinued, that she didn't remember why they were discontinued. She looked at the data in the progress in the present levels. And she was able to piece together that her child was making progress in decoding and actually be able to read, but her comprehension was struggling. And so when she came into sixth grade into that meeting, she was able to say, Hey, I looked at this guys and yeah, she can read the letters on the page, but she can't put it together. And all of a sudden the special education director that was there was like, we don't actually have a reading program for that. She got the district to buy a comprehension program Good. for the whole district Good. so that they could address that. But she Great. wouldn't have known that if she didn't have those past IEPs. It was so amazing to watch her just put the pieces together and present it. And again, she didn't have to come in and fight. She just presented it as, hey, I think this piece is missing. What can you guys do about it? Oh, it was awesome. You're right. Because when you come in just calm and knowledgeable, and sincere about wanting to help your child and highlighting the areas of need mm -hmm. and then asking the district, what do you have specifically to address that need? You'll either get an answer that they're ready to go to address that need or not. So coming in, it, it's little ambivalence. So I can appreciate that. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Talk to us about 504s and IEPs. Oh. Yes, 504s and IEPs. I get this question all the time. 
And I think it's confusing for parents. Some parents don't even know what a 504 is if you have an IEP. And if you have a 504, you don't know what an IEP is. So a 504 is, actually, it's easier for me to explain an IEP first. An IEP is an individualized education program, of course. And this really is a qualification process. They have to fall under one of these 13 different categories set out by federal law. And really what they're saying is they're meeting a checklist criteria that they have some sort of disability or delay to qualify them for services. Now, the IEP has so much more than that because I think the four most important sections of that IEP are the present levels, which just mm -hmm. says, what are they able to do now? What are they struggling with now? And it should read like a picture of your kid. You should be able to see your kid in the classroom and you should be able to tell exactly what they look like in the classroom. And then, That's right. I want to stop you right yeah, there for a second, yeah. because sometimes as educators, you know, we want to get all that information in there. And writing an IEP is an extensive process. It's no joke. It's really very, very well thought out. It's a lot of information. But I think sometimes we want to get all that data and information in. It's really important to remember, you know, what we love teaching. Just write it as a narrative. Write it as, you know, um, Beth has been working really hard and being able to focus and self-regulate. She uses her visuals and she particularly likes the launch tool and she uses it when she's reading. And that helps her to be able to support her reading on the Z level of reading or whatever it is. So really what you're saying, I think could be helpful for everybody to hear. Absolutely. There's two different kinds of data, right? There's that number data, which we get so stuck in sometimes. We want to see that number data, which is absolutely important. But there's also that qualitative data, which is exactly what you just said. And especially if you're having some conflict, either the parents or teachers, if you're having some conflict, especially around like paraeducation support or one-on-one -on -one support, this is a perfect opportunity to really provide a description of hey, if there's a paraeducator in that classroom, what does it look like? How much support are they actually needing? Do they need that for safety? And you can write in there, gosh, they really need to be in there for safety. Or is it a celebration that that para is able to kind of step back and give some independence and all of a sudden they're allowed to float around the room and then keep their eye on this particular student and kind of circle back around and give support as needed. But maybe that's an opportunity to pull back on that support a little bit more and provide independence. But you're not necessarily going to know that by numbers. Oh, they have this many minutes per week of paraeducation support. Well, what does that look like? What accommodations are being provided? There's two very clear sets of data. And that's why a really good present level section is so long. It's so huge, but it needs to be. It, you know, you don't have to be too long-winded about it, but it does need to have a really good picture so that anybody picking up that IEP, if there's a special education teacher that leaves, if there's a general education teacher that looks at that IEP, everybody should be able to really picture that kid in their brain and say, oh, okay, I have a somewhat of a semblance of idea of what this kid looks like in the classroom and what supports they need, right? So I have two things to say about that. And one is when you're able to write that narrative in the way that we're really speaking of right now, then I think, and tell me what you think about this, when there are different teams that, that meet, um, or there's also that special education, or rather the general education teacher who sits on committee, or if there is a parent advocate, or if there's somebody who doesn't directly serve that student, 
they can then see that child pretty easily. Absolutely. And that's also, I think of the IEP like a funnel. You know, the present levels really is the top of the funnel and you should have all of the information in there, everything. It should be a complete picture of the kid. And then as you go down to goals, it should get a little bit narrower. Let's select a couple things in the present levels that are really a priority that need to be addressed first, those skills that need to be addressed first. And then you can go down to accommodations. What isn't a goal? What do we need to accommodate in the classroom so that they're able to really learn right now, even while we're building these skills and the goals? And then the last piece, and I think this is probably the biggest mistake I see in parents is they start at the services at the bottom and they try to advocate for more services. Oh, we need more OT. Oh, we need more paraeducation support. Well, we need to make sure that's really justified in the present levels so that when you get down the funnel and you get to the bottom, you can say, oh yeah, we need more OT to support this specific skill, or we need more special education minutes to support these skills that we have up here that we need to build. To support that line of thinking, what are some questions that parents can ask to get a deeper understanding of the present levels of their, of their child? Such a good question. I think it depends on what the present levels looks like, right? And what holes you're seeing. But I always refer back to that vision statement that you have for your own child. What do you want school to look like in a couple years for them? And what is missing from that IEP to get them there, right? So if you're seeing, like my example from before is sensory supports. Well, if your kid is struggling in a sensory skill kind of way or an emotional regulation kind of way, and that's not in the present levels, you need to say, they really struggle with this at home. What does it look like in school? How long are, is there a certain time of day where you see meltdowns? Is there a certain situation where you see meltdowns? Like, can we piece together a pattern? Mm -hmm. And that all needs to go in the present levels. You can also ask for holes in data. Most of the time, most of the time, schools are pretty good about putting in reading data and math data. It's everything else that needs to be in there as well about what skills? So executive functioning skills often get ah, lost. Sensory skills yes. get lost. <laughs> yes. If you've listened to anything I talk about, it's all EEF skills. <laughs> <laughs> and that's missed so much. I think oh. that people aren't necessarily educated in what that means, which is no, great. We're working on that, Beth. We're working hard on that. Yes. And that's what we're all about. Yes. <laughs> but it's, it's funny you're talking about that because look at that infiltrates everywhere. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And it's one of those skills that you might want to advocate for a goal for those of executive functioning skills, which let's be right. honest, gets left off a lot, mm -hmm. but that might be the bottom and the base of the pyramid that affects right. everything else. Absolutely. It's the foundation of learning. Absolutely. So you can't necessarily expect them to reach 40th percentile in exactly. math. They can't if focus. We have this hole. Exactly. <laughs> if we have this hole. So I would say some questions about that really start at the individual's vision statement for their child. And if you want them to be in the general education classroom and it to look like this, or if you want them to be able to self-advocate for themselves or have friends, whatever that vision for your child looks like, or you want it to look like in a couple years, one or two years, then I would say focus on those skills in the present levels. And if they're missing, ask them how they're doing and ask that that data gets put into the present levels. So then you can ask for a goal later in the meeting too. It's a really easy segue to be like, hmm, this is my priority for these next two years for them. And if we have that data in the present levels, can we also make a goal for it and track it? Oh, such an amazing way and a more organized way to advocate for your kid. 
what about the parent who maybe this is their first child or they're having difficulty really embracing or understanding what the needs are. And we make this suggestion, which is a great one, to make a vision statement for what they want their child to be. But what if it's not realistic because they're just not understanding the child yet? Do you have any, can you talk to that? Any suggestions? Are you, are you talking about the team not understanding where the kid is or the parent? The parent. Mm, yeah, I think it's really hard. And I will say this from the reverse position being, I have a two-year-old at home. And I think being an OT and only working with people with disabilities, I had a really wonky view of what was typical and what was typ typical developing, right? right? And I think the opposite is true too. If you only have one kid, yeah. then you're not seeing what everybody else's kid is doing unless you go to the playground, but then you can't go around and ask what age is your kid and what are they doing school-wise, <laughs> Can right? they come here? Can we just do some fine yeah. motor movements and compare? Yeah. Can we just compare for a second? And that's really hard, but I think one key that now COVID has kind of thrown a wrench in this. So you do have to be careful about that, but I think we're getting more towards normal, but you can observe the classroom. So if your kid is in preschool, if your kid is in kindergarten, I know a lot of the parents that I serve will go in and volunteer in the room now that they're opening up volunteer opportunities for parents, or maybe they can set up a computer in the corner of the room and just kind of let you observe from a Google Meet or a Zoom for a couple minutes. You can see what other kids are being expected to do and what they're doing in the classroom. And that's really the best way to do it because then you're seeing it in the setting of the school as well because expectations are different in the classroom. And you can also see that teacher style and if that's meshing with your kid or not. So I would definitely say, if you can observe, that's amazing. If they're saying, oh, we're not letting you in the classroom right now, there's other ways to get around it, especially since everybody is so familiar with Zoom and Google Meet. I would definitely recommend doing that. And then there's so many guidelines for what they're actually learning in the schools. There's state standards, educational standards that you can look up on your state's educational website you can see what they're supposed to be learning and how far are we from that? Are they able to do that or are they not able to do that? And as a parent, if you come in and you say, hey, they have this standard in kindergarten that they're supposed to be doing this skill, that team's response is gonna be like, oh, you're right. This is how they're doing on that skill, right? It directs that conversation because so many educators, and I'd say this to your educators, some parents really want you to be really honest about how their kid is doing. Sometimes we get into that, oh, I don't want to make them feel bad. I want to fluff it up. They did had a great day today. Well, what does that really mean? They worked on this skill, this skill. Try to be a little bit more specific so that you give that parent context because they might not be getting it from anybody else, right? Right, right. So the way that we communicate is really, really important. Always being specific. I always mm -hmm. say about behavior specific praise, saying what it is that the child did, what was the action? So that way the child knows to repeat it because it worked for them in a good way. Same thing for when we communicate. I, I had created one, um, like a conference form for mm -hmm. parents and on that for teachers when conferencing with parents and on there is what questions are you going to ask the parent? And also what changes have you seen at home because educators do work so hard with their students that when we see progress, sometimes we don't realize it's that same progress at home, but we need to, for the parents to tune into also. So guiding them to say, hey, 
what have you seen at home allows them to see the progress and not just the gap? So I think Absolutely. the question is important too. Absolutely. And I love that. I love parent-teacher conferences. And there were so many times during parent-teacher conferences that special education teacher didn't have anybody stopping by. The OT didn't have anybody stopping by. The SLP didn't have anybody right. stopping by. And I think that's really important that parents know that they are available too during those conferences. And I love that you have that forum for them. Oh, that's just so amazing. And also it goes the other way. I mean, there was a parent, there was an autistic children or child in preschool. And we had, I think it was a parent teacher conference with her. And we're like, man, she's just not making progress on responding to her name. She can do all of these other skills. It's just really odd that she can't do this one. And the mom had such a, a horrified, but not like offended <laughs> look on her face. And she said, oh, I call her baby at home. Oh, goodness. She was the youngest and she yes. had like four kids. And we're like, oh, that totally makes sense. <laughs> and so the parent knew that we were working on that, understood we were working on it. And within two weeks, she was responding to her name. It was no that's good. That's good. <laughs> it's never too late to respond to your name because you know it's your name. <laughs> yes, exactly. So funny. But yeah, we need to be on the same page for sure. No matter what side, what side in quotes you're on, just communication about what you're working on. What is she actually making progress or is she not? What is she struggling with? Let's talk about it because it could be a really simple answer. <laughs> Beth, are you able to talk toward the topic of children in special education programs and the teacher needs to fill out a general education report card, but then they have to provide data and updates on their progress notes? Mm -hmm. I have a very strong opinion about report cards because they are completely different than progress notes for children in special education. What's your thoughts on that? Yes. So I wasn't, I wasn't really involved too much in the general education grades mm -hmm. because OTs are never case managers. So I didn't really have to worry about that part, but I will say that one of the frustrations that I felt is that sometimes those grades would be different because they're on extended evidence outcomes or they're on modified work. And sometimes that wasn't explained to the to the parents. And in the districts that I worked at, and I think this is different for every single district, if a child switched to being on modified curriculum or those extended evidence outcomes, then they weren't on a track to graduate with the same graduation as somebody in general education classroom. And that would happen as early as third or fourth grade that they would switch and it's really hard to make up that time. So I do know that that switches from being ABCD to pass fail sometimes in some districts, but I wouldn't say I'm an expert on that. Do you wanna share your opinion though? Sure, yes. I think uh, for me, it's, it's very, could be very difficult because I'm all about the progress. I want you, the parent to see the progress that the child is making and because the IEP is so individualized IEP that it is fair to that child and their functional level where there is this template called the IEP I mean the report card and I find instead of them getting the threes or the fours which is on grade level meeting grade level exceeding you know it almost looks like they're failing and I don't think that it gives a fair representation of their effort or progress. So if 
a parent, if you're a parent right now listening to us and you have a report card coming home and you have the progress report, I always tell the parents that I work with, really focus in on our communication that we've had all year, the progress you've seen at home and the progress notes that are sent pretty much quarterly home from school. That's where you really want to focus your attention on. Um, I'm not really one for, for templates that are made for the masses when you have children who are neurodiverse and they just don't fit into that. And, uh, but yet they can excel in so many ways and they typically are. So that's my opinion. I think it could be a little confusing, a little discouraging. Um, and also I think it's really important as the educator for that comment section too. It's not big with the report cards, it's different than on, on the IP for the, the PLEPs, the present level. But I also think that it's really important that we add in that narrative of what we're seeing from one uh, report card to the next to show that progress when maybe the, um, the indicators of success are not reflecting the progress that we really are seeing in the Absolutely. classroom compared to what the report card says. Absolutely. Yes, because those drop downs, and I remember, I remember vividly our special education director saying, Hey, on progress reports, you only have to do the drop down. You only have to say, did not make progress, insufficient progress, uh, progress made, or goal met. You only have to do that legally. And I was like, Yeah, but the parents deserve a little bit more detail than that, don't you think? If we said that we didn't work on a goal, that needs to be explained. If there's insufficient progress, that needs to be explained. And if there's progress made, that's also not enough because we need to know what progress was right. made, in what area, what kinds of accommodations are working right now. That's an easy, easy way to record that progress and what's working and what's not in between those IEPs. Because to expect parents to just get one hour of updating the IEP per year without other progress reported in detail is just ridiculous to me. It's so hard. <laughs> That's where I think uh, it's really important where the communication comes in. And it's really been able to uh, improve because now we've got phones on our apps called Parent Square, for instance. So it's actually very easy to keep the parents up to date where the progress note is just a progress note and it's nothing new anyway. So I think that gap can be easily closed um, just through good communication. And for the parents saying, how's my child doing this week? Right on, you know, those same type of questions that you were talking about, bringing into those CSE meetings, they could bring into the classroom as well. Absolutely. Yeah, it's so easy. And even if parents are, you know, wondering if their teacher is going to follow through, if you're a teacher, use what you already have. A lot of times teachers will have like a Google doc for this family and seesaw the app on this family. And then this family wants like a paper and pencil. If you can say, Hey, I offer this, I'm in this app already, make it easier on yourself. And most of the time that parent is going to be like, that's amazing. I didn't even know that existed. Make it easier for yourself too. Right? Exactly. And what a lot of school districts are doing is they are adopting the, mm -hmm. these apps that are quick and easy. And they even translate into the primary language of the home. So you can write it in English and it could be translated into Urdu, you know? So, and, and the only big compass, getting that app, signing it up, you know, for the account, and mm -hmm. then you're really ready to go. 
So Beth, I want to switch gears for a second. Um, how does the IEP lab help parents? So if there was a parent to come to you, what are some of the steps that you take to help and support them? Yeah, so my resources that are available every week is the Parent IEP Lab podcast. And I break down either, well, I have an eligibility um, series right now that I'm working on, but also we have guests that come in that specialize in an area that I obviously know nothing about sometimes um, because I'm an OT. I'm not an expert in everything. So I learn right alongside you in those podcasts. And I also Great. break down either a process or a system or, you know, what ESY is. I try to be really, really good and basic with my podcast episodes. And that's my resource that's available every single week. Great. The other thing that I do is I offer a decoding IEP data workshop, and that's offered once a month. And I just absolutely love paperwork, like we talked about earlier. <laughs> and so this allows parents to have one hour of workshop, one hour of live Q&A, and a Facebook group that's open for a week so that we can talk about paperwork. And we talk about a lot of the same paperwork issues that we were talking about in this podcast. We talk about where is data in the IEP? Where is it supposed to be? And parents have told me, oh my gosh, we're missing this huge piece of data in present levels. And then we break down you know, that funnel system of it starts at the present levels, where does it get pulled through? And then we also talk about how schools actually use data, because once you understand how they use data, if you're trying to advocate for something, then you know what they're looking for. And all of a right. sudden you can start taking your own data and present that. And all of a sudden they're going to be like, whoa, I understand that. That's my language. So that's offered every single month. And then I have a free parent IEP advocacy summit that's coming up in September, 2022. Super excited about that. And then I have a bigger course called the IEP lab intensive. And that is when we go through the whole process of how to advocate for something. It's a four week program. You get live Q&A support every week. You get to connect with other parents inside that course and then on-demand visual or video modules as well for that. Fantastic. So how can they reach you? You can find everything on theieplab.com and you can find links to the podcast there, but you can also find the podcast anywhere you get podcasts and it's called the IEP Parent Lab. Beth, thank you for joining us, sharing your information, giving our parents your information, resources, and strategies really to help advocate for their child, understand the process, and just feel comfortable within their role in their child's education. Thank you very much. You're so welcome. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to the Student Success Beyond Expectations podcast, where school leaders, educators, and parents meet on behalf of children who struggle with learning. To bring workshops to your school or organization, contact Child Behavior Consulting and get started with resources available at childbehaviorconsulting.com, Amazon, and teacherspayteachers.com for ready-to-use resources and children's books. If you enjoyed this podcast, remember to review, subscribe, share, and give us a shout out on social media.